Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Bernie Rankin is a veteran police investigator. He's worked with Victoria Police for 42 years before retiring as a detective inspector. What Bernie doesn't know about crime investigation isn't worth knowing. He's worked in inner city CIBs, the breakers and major crime squads and the homicide and armed robbery squads before heading to the Solomon Islands with the AFP. He headed up the Major Collision Investigation Unit before training other detectives about the art of investigative interviewing. Hi, Bernie, and welcome back to The Crime Couch. Hi, Rochelle. You worked in several crime squads before going to the Homicide Squad, Bernie. Do you regard this as the pinnacle of your career as a detective? Look, I was privileged to run a number of units and squads. Um, I don't actually categorise one above the other. Uh, It was certainly a privilege um, to be an inspector at the Homicide Squad. Um, As the inspector, you don't go hands-on with the crooks and the witnesses like your teams do, but your role there is to oversee everything, making sure all the bases are covered, dealing with the media, um, and making sure that your crews have got what they need to do the investigation. So it's more of a, it's more of an oversight role, more so than actually getting down uh, into the investigation. That's the job of the senior sergeants and the sergeants and the crews there, of course. It is perceived, though, as a prestigious gig, though, isn't it? I mean, it's it's certainly supposed to be the cream of detectives in the job. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, people who have been in charge of the Homicide Squad who have gone on to bigger and better things. Uh, I wasn't one of those. I think you're a little humble there, Bernie. What cases did you deal with while you are at the Homicide Squad? Look, there are a couple of very memorable cases. Um... One was the murder of Erwin Kastenberger, a security guard out at the Blackburn North Shopping Centre. That was a particularly difficult investigation because of the type of criminal that we were dealing with, and I'll go into that shortly. Um, The Sharp murders in Mornington were a dreadful investigation where John Sharp murdered his wife and his little baby girl, his little girl, um, purely uh, for financial uh, reasons, a dreadful human being. They're two that really come to mind uh, as being two of the uh, highest profile jobs uh, that we did in my time there. Because at the time I was at the Homicide Squad, the Piranha Task Force were doing the uh, the gangland killings. So um, it was sort of, um, you'd come in, if there was a murder, the Homicide Squad, of course, would turn out and then it would later be determined whether it was for the Homicide Squad or whether it was gang-related and then go to the Piranha Task Force, which worked pretty well while I was there, I've got to say. Like the Piranha Task Force did a marvellous job in uh, rounding up those responsible for those gangland killings. It was a very prolific time of murders in, occurring in our state, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was like 
it seemed at one stage as though there someone was being murdered every month, every couple of weeks uh, in relation to to the so-called gang war. It was a tough time for Victoria Police because uh, there was a fair bit of heat on uh, from the media in particular um, about the lack of progress on a lot of them, and it's to great credit to the people who um, who formed up the Prana Task Force uh, and got to work. Great credit to them that they did what they actually did. And I think there was an enormous amount of government pressure as well to basically get results. And uh, as you said, media media pressure as well. They put the screws on, but they did an extraordinary job. One of the jobs you worked on while you are in the homies was the serial arm robber Hugo Rich. Hugo I dealt with as a journalist at Channel 7. How would you deal or how would you have described Hugo Rich, Bernie? Uh, Hugo Rich would be the most self-centred human being you could ever meet. Uh, doesn't play by the rules at all. Will use every conniving trick to get out of trouble with the law. You read some of the case law that he's been involved in. Uh, there's been some outstanding, astonishing uh, cases uh, where he is uh, named as as the case, and he's often represented himself. He's an absolute pest. The moment he gets arrested for an offence, he screams his innocence and will never, ever concede to anyone that he's ever been responsible for one act of crime. He's a dreadful human being, dreadful. The thing that also fascinated me, if you could be fascinated by someone such as him, was his change of appearance because he always used to change appearances, didn't he? And quite quite successfully, as well as he'd also shot and killed a Chubb security guard, didn't he? Yes, so um, that was a particularly serious investigation, a Chubb security van, two uh, security guards delivering money to a bank out at the Blackburn North Shopping Centre. Two offenders ran up behind the security guards and effectively the taller of the two bandits shot the security guard in the back of the head for no reason. They grabbed the loot and, um, and headed off. You know, there was literally a hundred witnesses uh, to the event. Um, so just running that, uh, Jeff Maher, uh, one of the senior sergeants, went out and actually did the scene. And it was a huge job just to locate all the witnesses and get statements from them and all that. So that took up a bit of our time. And then, of course, the next day, uh, crews allocated to the job. Uh, we spoke to the armed offender squad and uh, of course that, that's their bread and butter they deal with these people every day of their lives and uh, we asked the armed offender squad who do you think this could be and so they come straight out well we think that your main targets would be uh, Hugo Rich and another guy named Lenny Ryan so what we did is uh, we went to Rich's office in the city and uh, asked him where he was at the time of the armed robbery and he had a so-called watertight alibi, it was a lawyer and a, a computer technician that was allegedly working in his office. And um, we went to speak to Lenny Ryan, uh, he was living in a flat in St Kilda, um, he wasn't home when uh, we first uh, knocked on his door but his flatmate was there, a guy named Dixon. We asked Dixon where he was. Uh, at the, uh, at the time of the uh, Blackburn North um, robbery and the murder of Mr Kastenberger, and he said he was in Ballarat looking at architecture and art. And um, strange, 
sort of an answer. And he said he was up there with Lenny Ryan. So I sent the crew up to Ballarat and uh, said, see if you can find any vision of these two people wandering around the main city of Ballarat. And fortunately, we were able to find a lot of uh, security vision from security cameras, cameras of them. Uh, we could only find security vision of Dixon, but not of Lenny Ryan. And then a, a very important piece of evidence was a piece of uh, video vision that showed Dixon walk into a phone box. Then we checked the phone calls made from that phone box a day of the uh, armed robbery at Blackburn North. And Dixon had made a phone call to an associate and that phone call bounced off a tower at Blackburn North. So we knew that he was involved uh, from that point on. And then we formed the connection between him and Hugo Rich and uh, Lenny Ryan. And uh, we mounted this huge job uh, because we didn't actually have enough to charge them at that time. But we knew how dangerous they were. And they also started following security vans around again while they were under surveillance. So we managed to uh, lock up Hugo Rich for a, a car theft and he had a storage shed with firearms in it. So we were managed to get in sufficient to lock him up to get him off the street. But the other team, uh, they were obviously, uh, the rest of his team were obviously uh, going to do more armed robberies anyway. We followed them to Dandenong on this particular afternoon, this SOG and the Homicide Squad, and arrested them just as they were about to commit another armed robbery on a on a uh, security van. So they were never going to stop. The trial raged. Most of the other crooks rolled over and pleaded guilty. Of course, Hugo, not in his DNA to plead guilty. The trial raged for, for years. And, um, of course, he's done his normal trick of appealing all the way to the High Court, but... Uh, he goes in 33 years a minimum. He'll be a very old man if he ever gets out of jail. What's the result in the Homicide Squad, Bernie, that you're most proud of or that you had the most satisfaction about? Uh, he would be one. Uh, the missing persons crew that worked on the Sharp murder did an excellent job. And I'll just... Uh, explain briefly why that is the missing person squad were called down there uh, because the locals weren't all that happy with the story that john sharp had given for the uh, for the reason behind his wife's disappearance the missing person unit guys went down there and um, they spoke to sharp he was fairly credible initially um, but put surveillance on him straight away just to see what he was up to. And, of course, that led to them locating um, Anna Sharpie's wife's mobile phone and credit cards secreted in the bush and in scrub near the, the beach in Mornington, which led eventually to Sharp confessing to the murders. But, you know, that was another job, you know, enormous interest in that job. Uh, some, of the, some murder investigations get a life of their own. And when John Sharp stood up on national television... <laughs> Everyone who looked at the interview sitting in their lounge room just immediately formed the view that he was guilty. And, of course, that brings added pressure because the interest level in the investigation ratchets up, uh, but you've still got to just remain focused on doing uh, what you've got to do, collect the evidence, uh, interview the witnesses and interview the crook. And, uh, thankfully, uh, the investigators did a great job uh, and, um, and uh, he actually confessed when the 
weight of evidence was placed on the desk in front of him. It's often very compelling, isn't it, watching those interviews. Boris Rusevsky also reminded me of exactly the same sort of person that ironically ends up sort of standing in front of the cameras and feeling this compulsion to say how upset they are and yet they're ending up very much implicit and involved in the crime. And often it's their body language and the things they say that lead people, just you know, citizens, people in the street, to form their views on, on their guilt or innocence. Um, yeah, it's astonishing, really. You work in the armed robbery squad and then you went to the Solomon Islands with the AFP. What an opportunity, Bernie, to police over there. What was that like? That was one of the highlights of my career. I, um, I had about 100... Uh, Victorian police officers with me, male and female, of course. Uh, another uh, fellow inspector. Um, so we were in, basically in charge of the Victorian contingent that went over. We all joined the Australian Federal Police for a couple of years and our role in the Solomon Islands was to, um, was to work with our colleagues in the Solomon Islands Police Force and mentor them and get them up to scratch because it was a police force that had got involved in all the troubles that led to Australia and New Zealand intervening over there and the, and the Ramsey mission being formed to restore law and order in the Solomon Islands. Unfortunately, the police were half the reason uh, for the law and order issues in the Solomon Islands. So initially, of course, the main uh, protagonists were all arrested and they were in the Rovate prison. Our job was then was to... Was to get a police force that, that could function and it was an enormous challenge but it was very rewarding i was uh, the advisor effectively to you'd call the assistant commissioner for crime here in victoria i was a, his his advisor and mentor and um we did some incredibly good work with the local police officers uh made wonderful uh, friendships and relationships with them and um, some of the work we did over there was just outstanding. Some of the work that constables and senior constables did, remembering their rank, um, they were, it was like they were working at a rank about three or f three levels higher than they actually were. So it was great experience for them as well because they were effectively working as managers at the rank of constables. So, uh, and some of them did just a, just a brilliant job. Bernie, when you're over there working in the Solomon Islands, did you have to change the way you investigated jobs? Yeah, it was like policing in the 1960s. Hearing the legislation was old Queensland legislation, so it was a really basic um, type of investigative process. Like there was no point teaching them too much about working computers and that sort of thing because they didn't have any. The only people who had computers were the, the people working on the Ramsey mission. So. It was more of a paper-based uh, investigation. A lot of the statements you took were just handwritten statements. Um, some of the guys we were mentoring got quite computer literate, which was which was good um, because there has been some funding given to them, and of course, they have been given some technology in more recent years. But it was a a great experience, a really rewarding experience, and three years of my career, which um, yeah, I look back on very fondly. Yeah. What did that overseas experience, what did it actually teach you, Bernie? Uh, it, it taught me that um, in a third world country, um, for the police officers that work there, the local police officers, um, they have a lot of challenges in their lives. Um, 
that impact on the amount of work that they can do. And they have issues such as survival, feeding their families, um, being paid uh, that we don't have in a wealthy uh, Western nation like Australia. It was really encouraging to see the level that these people, these police officers from the Solomon Islands, the level of commitment they actually had with the external pressures that they were subjected to. You finished your time in the Solomon Islands and you went back to Australia in 2009. Then you worked on improving the investigation of motor vehicle crashes. What motivated you to do this and what did that actually involve? So that was the uh, a brainchild of Ken Lay, the former uh, Chief Commissioner. Um, Mr Lay formed the view that the standard of road crash investigations in the state wasn't up to speed and uh, the Director of Public Prosecutions was of the same opinion as were uh, the, as was the coroner and um, county court judges. So I designed the training program with, with experts uh, in crash investigation. Um, uh, one guy in particular who'd spent many years as an investigator at the Major Collision Unit. We formed a and designed a training program to get highway patrol police, uniform police and even detectives in to do a, a, a dedicated road crash investigation program which then gave them the skills to actually do it properly and what you see now is uh, drivers who, are, who injure and uh, sometimes kill uh, fellow citizens are now being treated as criminals and... Uh, you only have to look at the court list up at the county court to see the length of sentence that some of these people are getting. So it's been a very effective uh, training program, and uh, it has certainly it certainly improved um, the capability of, of Victoria Police to in, to investigate crashes and bring those responsible for it before a court. Great work, Bernie. Um, do you regard that work as being your greatest career achievement so far? Yeah, surprisingly, I look at. I think um, that piece of work. Uh, it was probably the piece of work I did that probably would have had the longest term impact. Um, you know, for my colleagues in Victoria Police, um, and that was followed by uh, four years as the manager of the Major Collision Investigation Unit, which was a which was a, a great job. Work with dedicated very professional uh, police officers there in doing one of the toughest jobs in Victoria Police. You took the words out of my mouth because I was about to say you headed up the MCIU and you finished at uh, DTS training others in investigative interviewing. Was it a clear choice for you to resign? What prompted you? I was uh, driving to work one day. Uh, the phone hadn't stopped all week, all weekend and I was driving to work. Uh, I was in my early 60s and I said, I've had enough. And I walked in the office and uh, a few of the guys were sitting there having a coffee first thing in the morning. I said, guys, I joined the job on April Fool's Day. I'm going to retire on April Fool's Day next year. <laughs> so I actually set a date. Um, as it turned out, it was a month or so later, but uh, it was a decision I was very comfortable with. It. Um, I was really pleased I went when I did. Um, I left with the greatest regard for Victoria Police. Um, and uh, I retired and looked back on my career and thought, well, gave it a crack, did my best. Um, 
and left, you know, proud really of, of, of the work I did and, the, and very, very grateful for the friendships and the colleagues that I worked with over the years. 42 years, it's more than four decades. How do you reflect on your career now? The change I saw from when I joined the job when I was working at Divi Van Den at St Kilda to what police do now and the technology that's available for police. I was sort of, I lived through the whole generational and and technological change uh, through all that and it was amazing how quickly um, things change and how quickly technology becomes so important. And, of course, you look at, you know, most criminal investigations these days, it's technology, it's cameras, it's telephones, it's surveillance, it's... Um, uh, all those scientific uh, things that are available to police now, uh, they're the, the reasons why Victoria Police and other police forces in the Western world have such a good strike rate against, against criminals. And after interviewing recently John Manley, who's in charge of cybercrime, the amount of technology that's available to police members as well, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, the government have invested heavily in technology in the in Victoria Police budgets. Um, you know, investigating crime is a very expensive process, and your your police forces have to have the technology, and they have to have the resources to do the job properly. Um, uh, otherwise, it would things would spiral out of control very very quickly. And and the work that police forces all around Australia do really is is outstanding. Bernie, after such a high-powered career, um, is it hard to stop? Is it hard to change gears? What do you do with that part of your brain that's constantly used when you're investigating crime? What happens to that? Does that go away? Does it fade away? Or do you just start reading more crime books? No, it, I never missed it uh, one bit uh, after I retired, I've got to say. I uh, moved on to other things. I played a bit of golf go to the gym, try and keep myself fit. Um, but no, so I've just, I've done a little bit of work here and there, uh, nothing uh, too serious or too demanding. Um, I've just been very relaxed with the decision I made. Um, I still catch up with old colleagues, of course, um, in a social sense, uh, but I'm a spectator now. And um, I, this is really the first time I've really sort of commented on police matters since I retired and it was a decision I made at the time because I don't think it's fair to be an armchair expert when you're not actually on the front line doing what the police today are doing. For anyone considering joining the job, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give them is to um, have the moral courage to stand up for what you believe in I would also uh, encourage people um, not to stay in one place too long. Um, I saw many of my colleagues get disillusioned and burnt out uh, staying in one place too long, so I think a little bit of variety throughout your career is, is very helpful. And you've got to commit yourself to the organisation. You've got to commit yourself to Victoria Police um, and you've got to commit yourself to the work that you do because it's so important. And if you don't do it properly, the ramifications are dreadful. So finally, Bernie, what's next for you? I do a little bit of travel. My wife and I, of course, uh, 
been unable to do that in recent years, but uh, that's basically what I do these days, play a bit of golf, travel, um, got family, of course. Uh, we've got uh, four children um, who are all well and truly into adulthood and their own careers now, so it's amazing how easily it is to fill up a day. Well, Bernie, thank you very much for sitting back with me on the Crime Couch. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Rochelle. It's been enjoyable. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch. 